Hadn't done this in a while. We're releasing the kids right when you preach and everybody leaves. It's not really good for your ego. Um, we're going to get into Scripture right away. Matthew chapter 7, verse uh, 24 through 29. We are coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been in for the past year. And Matthew writes Jesus' words, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Uh, Don't think that the irony of this, the timing of this passage uh, has uh, gotten by me here. Um, we canceled church last week because of the storm, and uh, was supposed to preach this sermon last week. Now we've all had a week to uh, to sit with it, to uh, watch it unfold before our eyes, the devastation, the destruction, uh, and the videos that people are posting on social media, in the news. Uh, we've heard stories uh, from family or friends who've been personally affected by it, and uh, continue to be affected by it. Even some of you uh, went down there yesterday and did some work helping people uh, with uh, with uh, Chris C's church uh, with Robbie C's church down in Cyprus, and really appreciate you doing that. There's going to be a lot more of that kind of stuff for us to do for sure. There's no doubt that this storm that we've just experienced has uh, been one for the ages. It's one that uh, our kids. Um, are going to tell their grandchildren about. Just like my grandmother told me about the great Galveston hurricane of 1900 that incidentally I think happened, easy to do the math, uh, 117 years ago uh, this week though. So I want to be real careful about, as we approach this passage, this would would have been a, a weirdly easy one for certain kinds of preachers to, to cherry pick and say, let's use that and talk about that this week. Uh, this is where we have been in the scripture and where we ended up this week or last week uh, as we've taught through for the past year the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but what I want to be careful about is, is to say that um, what we talk about today does not in any way minimize the, the real hurt that's being experienced right now, the pain, the loss that so many people, uh, people that we know, um, are trying to cope with at, the, at this very moment. Um, I, mean, I think about my brother, who's a lot older than me um, and had to be taken out by boat uh, with his wife, who is undergoing chemotherapy right now, uh, and that all had to be suspended. Um, I think about my cousin Danny, who, talking to my mom yesterday on the phone, couldn't get through a sentence without just breaking down in tears. Uh, They had six feet of water in their house, and they lost everything. And he was telling her about 
the, the family Bible from that side of the family, on my mom's side of the family, that uh, dates back for generations. And he said, it's just gone. It's just like, it's, it's nothing anymore. Um, so those are the kind of things, and I know you've got stories. Uh, you you uh, have people in your life that have been affected by this. So I want us to fully lament the destruction that, that Harvey has caused. But I want us to look for this moment, uh, for this day, as we look at this passage, uh, and, and use it as a, truly a biblical illustration of what Jesus is speaking about. A kind of destruction that will truly make us forget about any and every other kind of storm that's ever been or ever will be. Uh, a kind of destruction uh, that will make us forget about every war that's ever been or ever will be. Uh, the kind of destruction that will make us forget about anything, any destructive force in our lives that we've experienced or heard about or read about or will experience. It's considered to be one of the most, if not the most, uh, severest parables in all the Bible. And Jesus saves it for the end of his sermon. Okay, this isn't like typical preacher stuff where you like end with uh, some kind of poem or something, you know, and it's, it's really uplifting for you to I mean, he's saving like this, this talk about all this destruction for the very end of his sermon. It comes in the form of actually two stories or two parables. Um, and, and, and it also comes with an, with an invitation or a call to action and a warning of what, what's going to happen on Judgment Day. It's a story about hearing and about doing. And that theme is very familiar to God's people. Uh, it goes all the way back, and we can look at, uh, back to the prophet Ezekiel, where he wrote, As for you, son of man, your people are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, Come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. So the story of God's people is very much... Uh, uh, entrenched in the kind of life where his people are hearing uh, prophets speak of him, warn of his coming wrath, and yet uh, they don't do anything about it. They don't do anything with it. And, uh, and, and somehow, some way, uh, they, they can just hear these words from the prophets that sound like love songs with a beautiful voice, uh, but they don't do anything with them. Is that how we are when we hear the Word of God? Uh, do, we, do we sit and listen, or do we read and, and, and take it in only to the extent that it just sounds good to us? Or, or do we kind of pick it out, and, and we want the, you know, the encouraging stuff that, that, that you know, Oprah could say? just as good as the Bible could say, and, and, uh, or somebody else, uh, that, that uh, makes us feel good about life, makes us feel good about ourselves. Do we really sit with the Scripture? Do we really sit with God's Word? Let the Holy Spirit uh, speak 
into our hearts and our lives in such a way that causes change and not just uh, something that sounds good to us. We're going to look at this passage in three sections, the two stories, uh, the two parables, and then kind of a follow-up. So let's look at verse uh, 24 and 25 again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So Jesus is here, here saying, uh, and, and he does this in a couple of other parables in the Bible, where he talks about there's a, a person that's approved, or there's a group of people that are approved, and then there's one who is not. And so this is the parable, the story of the one who is approved. And he says, this approved person uh, I call wise. And he tells the story about what that kind of looks like to, to illustrate it, to say uh, that, that he built his house the right way. He built it on the rock, on a firm foundation. And so when uh, the, the, the streams rose up and, and the wash came through, and the idea here is, is maybe that this was, uh, uh, he was, he was speaking to, to people who were familiar with an area where there was kind of a, a wash, a, a, a drain that, that was dry most of the time, but when it rained hard, then it would fill up with water. And so if you built anywhere near that, you needed to know that you know, that, that could happen. And you wouldn't want to just build on the sand. You needed to have a strong foundation. And so he says that person, um, that person uh, is, uh, is, is like the, the person that is wise because he follows my words, because he hears my words and not only hears them, but do, does them. That person is like the person who has the strong foundation. So that's easy. Um, a house built on a rock is, is going to endure it's going to stand. If we build our lives on Jesus, they're going to endure. We're going to be able to get through the hard times of life. What's the storm? The storm is something that the Bible talks about a lot. Uh, God's storm. Uh, he, he talks about it back in Proverbs. When the storm is swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. Uh, Ezekiel again, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In my wrath, I will unleash a violent wind, and in my anger, hailstones and torrents of rain will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you will be destroyed in it, and you will know that I am the Lord. And then in Nahum, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries. He will pursue his enemies into darkness. The wise do what Jesus says and will stand with him in eternity. That's the point of the first parable. The second parable is not quite as positive and it uh, contains the, the warning. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This is the one who is not approved, and he is called a fool because he is the one who hears what Jesus said but doesn't put those words into practice. And so very simply, when we hear from the Lord, and we don't do, we don't respond. We are fools. It's as simple as that. 
All of us. And we've all been there. And so our challenge is to get out of any of those cycles where we uh, just hear the, the, the pretty song about Jesus and we don't do anything with his words. It's as if Jesus is saying, uh, like if, if uh, when the waters recede down here at the Navasota River and, and you found some really cheap land uh, right there by the river and bought that land from somebody and then bought a trailer house and put it right on the side of the river and said, man, I, I'm, I'm living good. You know, this is, this is good. We would say, what kind of fool are you? Did you not just see what happened? I mean, it's like a lake down there. Like, that's going to happen again. It just happened a few years ago, and it'll happen again probably. It rains up the, the river, going to swell that, that river, and it's going to flood. And, and your trailer house is going to be not just flooded, but it's probably going to be swept away. And that bridge that's right down there on the other side, it's probably going to crash into that and, and split in two. And you're, you're not going to have a home anymore. So don't put your money in that. Don't let somebody sell you that land or, or, uh, or waste your money putting your house right there because it's not going to make it very long. You would be foolish to do that. That's what Jesus is saying to us. when, And he wants us to know that when we hear what he has to say clearly and we don't do it, we're just as foolish. We're just as foolish. I mean, that kind of thing, even we're, we're smart enough in our society that we've even got laws that say you can't do that kind of stuff. We won't let you be that foolish. Like, you can't build in a floodplain, okay? So uh, why can't we uh, you know, have some laws like that for each other? Like, don't let each other be that foolish to not uh, do what Jesus is uh, saying. So these references about people acting a fool are like all over Scripture. Uh, Proverbs is full of them. Loves to talk about the foolish, right? And give warnings about that. Um, but Jesus does too. He's not afraid to call people out and say, that is foolish behavior, or you are a fool. This house was destroyed because it wasn't anchored in the right place. These are words of final disapproval from God in the great judgment. So we need to uh, kind of sort through a, a little bit of theology here um, and, and realize that we're not exactly talking about like uh, what might happen on this earth right now. Like if you made a foolish decision. Yes, there absolutely could be, and you should expect that there could be uh, some kind of consequences for that. But that doesn't always happen. I mean, we see all the time where, where we think, you know, what we would call uh, fools uh, getting ahead. Um, and uh, we don't like that necessarily, and we kind of struggle with that. Like, I'm trying to live the right way, and it seems so hard for me. But yet somebody else who's clearly not following Jesus uh, is living large, and everything's great for them. This is talking about the final judgment. Uh, and Jesus wants people to know that this is the way it's going to end up. But... Uh, Another kind of point of, of theology that, um, that comes from a passage like this is uh, something that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe in, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, uh, open theists would, would kind of say that, and maybe, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that some of you don't believe in this, and that's necessarily wrong, but uh, this, it's talking more about the nature 
of this kind of destruction. Uh, the theological term will be annihilationism, where everything is just destroyed in the end. All the bad you know, that is destroyed, sorry. Um, and, and so uh, there is no hell, it's just all wiped away. So that would be like hell because you're no longer in existence. Uh, and the more traditional uh, view uh, that uh, we would probably hold to is that there's an eternal punishment. Uh, so that's kind of the nature of the destruction. But that's not what he's trying to major on here. Um, what he wants us to know is that, that there is a final and definite disapproval from God for our actions, for our lives. And that's the destiny for those who hear Jesus and don't do what he says, the foolish. So after we've studied the great sermon um, for the past year, we've seen that Jesus' invitation is not just to accept him or to believe in him, although that's part of it, but the rest of it is that it is to present him as king, that there is a, a new vision that he wants to lay out for us, for his people, of what his kingdom looks like and the kind of people who are going to be a part of it. And that's hopefully us. And it's clear that what we do with that is basically how, we're, how we respond to it, whether we respond to, to doing what he says. Doing what he says and the consequences of not are really a consistent theme for Jesus. He started uh, earlier talking about um, before the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a tree that didn't produce good fruit, and they said it's going to be thrown out. You're not, you're not doing anything. You're not producing the kind of stuff that you're supposed to. Uh, you're, you're going to be thrown out. Early in the sermon, he says, uh, whoever does these things is going to be called great in the kingdom. And then uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the proactive nature of doing to others what he wants us to do, uh, the, the things that he's put in us to want ourselves, uh, the golden rule. And then there's the story in Matthew chapter 25 toward the end of his ministry, uh, the, a very harsh warning about sheep and goats, where he says, uh, you, you did these things in my name, uh, but I, I didn't know you, and, and I'm going to separate uh, the, the, the sheep and the goats and uh, the, the people who are really righteous and really following after me. Uh, those are the people who are going to inherit uh, eternity with me. Uh, or, uh, there's going to be an eternal doom and there's going to be an eternal reward. And we find in Scripture that doing and practicing are really common terms for a more powerful term, righteousness. Jesus began his sermon talking about righteousness. Remember, a couple of times he talked about the righteous and who would inherit the earth. Uh, a little bit later, he talks about seeking righteousness above all else. Uh, later uh, in uh, his life, he spoke to, his, spoke to his disciples and told them that it was the way of righteousness that they were being called to. And then Paul explained it. In Second uh, Timothy, when he said all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He wants to bring us to a point of righteousness 
uh, bring righteousness into our life, righteousness, a, a kind of doing and practicing the, the, the way of Jesus. That's the, the good work that we will do. Luther agreed with this when he said, the doctrine is a good and precious thing, but it is not being preached for the sake of being heard, but for the sake of action and its application to life. And then uh, James, the brother of Jesus, who was considered really the, uh, one of the pillars of the New Testament church, sums it up in this familiar passage where he says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Sounds like a fool, right? But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, but not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The message of these parables is pretty clear. Don't be a fool. Be wise. Do what Jesus says. So the very last part is kind of a, uh, an observation of what's just taking place. Taking place. When Matthew writes, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. The sermon began when Jesus walked up a hillside, a mountain. Um, He got above the crowd and began to teach with this authority, with this air of authority that, and I I think I preached this sermon early uh, in in this whole series and and talked about how uh, that would have brought back memories for God's people of Moses ascending the mount and teaching the law. And so there was a symbolism here taking place in this Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is assuming the role of the new Moses. I come to bring you a new law. And so as he wraps up his sermon here, uh, and, and we, we find that, that uh, this is the observation of Matthew as, as how the people were responding. It would be consistent with that kind of uh, awe that uh, he was speaking from as the new Moses. But this, what Jesus is delivering isn't just law. We need to make sure we don't make that mistake of misunderstanding what's happening here. Uh, it is law, but it's important to note, uh, and we need to be careful about how we might form our Christology from our ethics. What I mean by that is that if we, we can't make the mistake of understanding Christ by how he tells us to live. But instead we have to understand how to live because of our understanding of who Christ is. When we know Jesus, that affects change in us. And it affects change in the way that we live. It, it becomes the way that we live. It becomes the new ethic of our life. It becomes the kingdom way. It becomes the way of righteousness that Jesus came to proclaim. It becomes the fulfillment of the Sermon on the Mount that he preached. 
teaching as one who had authority, struck his listeners because he was not only bold enough to do what Moses did, but he really took it a step further. And when we go back to verses 24 and verses 26 in these two stories that he told, we see this phrase, these words of mine. He wasn't quoting somebody else. He wasn't delivering law from God that he got on the mountain. He was speaking law into being in their midst. These words of mine. And the emphasis, not really, I mean, because now we got something much bigger happening here as the people begin to realize this, this person who has authority to say these things, not like anything else we've ever heard before. This person has real authority. And so the emphasis shifts from what he's saying to who he is. Now the emphasis is on the person. And so the takeaway from the sermon, not just this sermon, but the sermon that we've been in for the past year, is that a proclamation that says, here's King Jesus. It's time for you to choose to do what he says or to choose not to. You got to, because he's on the ground now. He's just proclaimed it. He's just spoken it. You don't really have the option of messing around with it anymore. I love what this theologian said. It says, radical submission to the exclusive lordship of Jesus, who fulfills the law and the prophets, and warns the disobedient that the alternative to total obedience, true righteousness, and life in the kingdom is rebellion, self-centeredness, and eternal damnation. That's how the sermon ends, with that kind of statement, with that kind of call. And so I think it leaves us with a couple of questions that I want to leave you with today. The first is, does King Jesus have complete authority in your life? Now, yeah, I mean, most of us are going to say, well, of course, how could we prevent that? Uh, uh, Theologically speaking, yes, he has complete authority. But I want to ask you, like, what does that really mean, though? Like, uh, and and to get specific with it in in some ways that uh, we have to function um, is, have you extended that authority to Scripture, Uh, Do you read Scripture with the authority of Jesus behind it, Uh, the authority of the Holy Spirit speaking into your life to affect change, not just to get you through the day, uh, but to truly make change in your life? Have you given Scripture that kind of authority in your life? Um, Because it points to the person of Jesus. And then secondly, uh, have you extended that authority to your faith community? If you're a member of community church, are you functioning in such a way where you are going to go to comm group this semester and you're going to sit down with a group of people that you may or may not know all that well and you're going to be okay saying that because you've committed to the same Jesus that I've committed to and because I believe that we're in this together and that that God put this uh, together in a way where he has the body of Christ working for my good and, and me and the gifts that he's given me, working for the good of everybody else. And I'm going to submit to that in a way that I give the authority of Jesus for you to affect change in my life, small group. It, or are we just going to 
have fun together and tell stories together and, uh, and share our hard times with one another and lean on each other and make a meal for one another. That's all good and, and, and right. It needs to be a part of group, but there's so much more power behind it. Have you extended that authority in your life, the authority of Jesus, to the body of Christ to be able to affect change in your life? And then the second question is this. Do your actions come from your relationship with him? Are you going deeper into faith and knowledge and understanding of Jesus? Are you really digging into who he is in such a way that, that that's what fuels your actions? That's what makes a difference in how you live your life. And is that understanding of an, an intimacy with him fueling your actions in more spirit-led ways? Can you point to that, that intimacy with Jesus and knowing his voice and hearing it speak to you to move you toward action. If you're not, if you don't hear that, then, then look at your life and, and, and question how, how, what are you doing to go deeper with him? Are you really getting to know him? Because when you know him, he's going to fuel that in you. He's going to come out of you in those ways. So these are two questions that I think are at the heart of the great sermon of Jesus. They're at the heart of his gospel, his life, his message, and they're meant to transform the world for all eternity. First, for everyone in the world, they're meant for everyone, is good news of rescue from eternal destruction that we've already talked about. And maybe the only news that's powerful enough to get us through and sustain us when it looks like our world has been washed away. And for many of you, that's not necessarily, doesn't have anything to do with this storm. But you've got your own storms that have hit recently uh, that you haven't fully recovered from. But you could speak to right now, you could speak to that deep abiding peace and grace and strength of our Lord to get you through is the only thing that's gotten you through, gotten you this far. And if you are in just like no man's land with it right now, um, I want to tell you that there is that hope and there is that truth that Jesus will sustain you through that. And then next for all of us as followers of Jesus, as people who have said, yes, this is, this is what we want to be about, um, that uh, these questions uh, get to the heart of, of what we're to be, uh, to be able to accurately and boldly make the same gospel proclamation in our world that Jesus did in his. To... Uh, to make the same gospel proclamation that those first disciples did in theirs. To make the same gospel proclamation to the world that the early church did, that, uh, that was fueled by the flame of the Holy Spirit burning in them. A proclamation of hope and a proclamation of action that says, here's King Jesus, world. It's time to make a decision about what you're going to do with him. Are you going to listen to his words and do what they say, what he says, or are you not? It's as simple as that. Let's pray. Jesus, as we uh, conclude um, our time looking intently at your words in uh, this sermon that you preached long, long ago, um, thank you 
that they're as alive today for us as they were then. And may they uh, be revived in us in ways that we could be as challenged by them as those first hearers and um, excited by them to want to be a part of that way of life and um, propelled by them to want to go and share them with others in our words and in our actions. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you drive us to that end. May it be so for those of us today that hear you. In Jesus' name, amen.